This week's podcast brought to you by Hotel Toilet Paper Origami Cranes. The other day I was driving around and our eight-year-old was in the back seat of the Honda Odyssey minivan. And she said, Mom, what year were you born? And I told her. And then she said, were you alive when the dinosaurs roamed? I said, no, I wasn't. Do you know anyone who was? Well, evidently you do, because she asked me the same question. She said, were you alive when the dinosaurs roamed? I said, no. And then she said to me, why did they roam? Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. You just noticed that this is our 50th podcast. It's our 50th podcast. My my favorite number, number 50. The number you wore in college and the WNBA. Did you wear that in high school? No. In, in high school, um, my freshman year, I made the varsity team and the basketball coach handed me the jersey that he purchased that was a little bit longer than the rest of them. And it was number 31. He never asked me what number I wanted to be or anything like that. And he handed me the long jersey, which was 31. And then when I was going to UConn, there was a great shooter at UConn, Wendy Davis, who already wore 31. So I had to choose a different number. But it was the first time I ever got to choose what number I wore was when I went to college. Fred Roberts wore that number for the Celtics. Did you know that? Did you remember that? Of course, that's the reason I wore number 50. No, I wore number 50. No, 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 he didn't wear number 50. He wore wore 31. 31. ML Carr wore 30. Fred Roberts, 31. Kevin McHale, 32. I forget who wore 33. right. Paul Pierce, 34. What was the chief? Robert Parrish. Double zero. Double zero, of course. Um, Yeah, I mean, and and so I chose 50 because I was a huge David Robinson fan. At this point, he was with uh, San Antonio. And my brother, actually, who's six years older than me, uh, played basketball at Dartmouth, but he uh, took a visit to the Naval Academy, and David Robinson was his host when he visited the Naval Academy. But anyway, I wore number 50 because of David Robinson, and, um, and wore it throughout my WNBA career as well. I remember when I was traded to the Connecticut Sun, my last stop um, in my three-team tour of the WNBA, and there was a player who had number 50 because um, the franchise had just moved from Orlando, I think. Um, and so I, anyway, I, I, had, I got in touch with her and said, you know, just name the price. Let me know what it is that that you want me to get for you. you Are you willing to to sell me essentially number fifty? And um, she ended up not making the team, so I got number fifty for free. But you'd already bought her a Toyota Corolla. Yeah, right. Well, that wasn't going to be the price. It was like you know, set of golf clubs. What? Uh, but numbers become a very personal thing. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, and and I. The kids sometimes ask me, I wore number 13 at the Olympics because in the Olympics, the numbers you can wear from number 4 to 15 in basketball. Those are the only options, number 4 through 15. And the reason I was number 13 was because I was the youngest player on the team and it was the only number nobody else wanted. And so that's how I inherited number 13. I think 13 has since become a fairly popular number. Maybe it was before. Steve Nash wore it in Phoenix. A-Rod, not that that would make it a popular number. James Harden wears it now. And uh, my favorite number as a kid, I love the number eight because Joe Morgan wore it for the Cincinnati Reds and 88 because Alan Page wore it for the Vikings. Uh, But I wore 32 in high school basketball because that was the number I was assigned. But that was Kevin McHale, also from Minnesota. So that was cool with me. It's um, it's fun because uh, or interesting how numbers become such a personal thing. Uh, you know, when players get to the pros or even in college, like a number is is a really big deal. And um. And when you're a kid, you I don't have any recollection of what number was on the back of my little league jersey or what number was on the back of my youth soccer jersey. Maybe there wasn't one in those days. I don't know. But, do you remember um, being given a choice though? Because kids no. now are asked, "What number do you want?" and we'll try to accommodate you. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think clearly. Not even in high school, I wasn't given a choice. You just took the uniform number that fit you. And I think back in those days, that's why so many 
post players ended up with numbers in the 40s or 50s. Because the higher the number, the larger the jersey. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, I'm coaching our son's travel basketball team, and I sent out an email to all the parents and said, you know, can you send me your son's first choice for a basketball jersey and his second choice for his number? Um, the, the parents will, will purchase the jerseys in the size that the kids need. But um, yeah, numbers have become something that's sort of important to them. Our, our second daughter wears number 50, which I never suggested she do that. She just on her own said she wanted to be number 50. But none of our other kids have any interest in, in wearing my former number. But in basketball, there were very little overlap with the kids' numbers that they requested. But somebody always requests 23 particularly in basketball. Of course. Somebody always requests three because they're the three-point shooter. I'm guessing that's that what that's what they're saying with that. Uh, our son requested 42 because Jackie Robinson is his favorite athlete of all time. Don't ask me how that happened. I'm glad it did, but he just sort of discovered that on his own. And, uh, and it doesn't hurt that Al Horford of the Celtics is now his team since LeBron's no longer with the Cavs, also wears 42. So... Um, but, but it was yeah. sweet because he was he was debating. You know, we said to him, "What number do you want to be?" And he did, he wasn't sure. And you know, of course, twenty three has been the the coveted number. You know, it started in our era with Michael Jordan was twenty three, and now that LeBron is twenty three. But I love the fact that our son chose forty two for Jackie Robinson. And and I don't know where his his affection came for Jackie Robinson. I remember him as a boy going and just writing a story about Jackie Robinson. It's an amazing story about Jackie Robinson hitting a home run in every single game and how when he first when when a, when a Dodger coach first discovered him in his telling of the story and asked him if he would like to play for the Dodgers, Jackie said yes. And uh, they kept booing and booing and booing Jackie, but all Jack, Jackie didn't fight back with his fists. He fought back with his bat. He just hit a home run every time he came to the plate. How old was he when he wrote this story? Just he was a few years be... ago. And in fact, I just found that he didn't tell me he was writing it. He just asked to use my computer. And sometime weeks later, I found a Microsoft Word file, not on my desktop, but you know where you had to search it. And uh, it was it was a story that the story that he'd written called Jackie Robinson Bat Hero. So he is uh, he's wearing number 42 for Jackie Robinson Bat Hero. And I think that's even better than if he had chosen number 50. I was actually with our daughter who was wearing her number 50 jersey last week. We were on our way to a fall league basketball game and we were in Starbucks, I think, getting a snack or something before heading over there. And and uh, so she was standing there in her uniform with me and a guy who I don't know came in and it, what he said to me was, How's the offspring doing? How's the offspring doing? And I said, oh, the offspring's doing just fine. We're headed to a game right now. But it was just uh, the the interesting questions that people ask that um, you've never heard before. I mean, at this point, at our age, there's very few things that you haven't heard somebody ask before. But how's the offspring doing is, that what is they a say, new one. Is that what they say when, when your children are with you, but they're not sure what, what the genders are of your children? <laughs> or that's... Well, it's clear what her her gender is uh, based on the length of her ponytail but yeah it was uh it was entertaining are you sure he wasn't referring to the 90s indie band the offspring who sang pretty fly for a white guy um i'm not sure actually uh i i I should have said they're they're still pretty fly that could have been my answer well speaking of being out with the offspring in in a place that serves food and drink two of our kids were otherwise occupied but we went out and sat in a in a rare table for four at a chain restaurant the other day, and you were amused, not really, uh, to see a video screen at the table uh, offering advertisements throughout your meal. Well, I mean, we can just say it was Chili's. I think anybody, that's the only restaurant I can think of that we've been to where they have this thing. Yeah, you sit down and there's a little screen at the table and you can slide your credit card and and pay to play video games at your table. But we did not choose to do that. And so instead, the screen was on scrolling through ads. I think most of them were for Verizon or another food company or phone company. And um I was just like, I, I don't I don't want to be one of the reasons we're out to dinner instead of home is I don't want to be inundated with screen and, and especially advertising. The one thing I did like about it is we could pay the bill there instead of, I guess, handing our credit card to the to the waiter. But um, but yeah, really now now it follows it, you it at, a, at a restaurant like that. It has a tip calculator also so that you can dial it up to whatever percent you want. And, and the 
corresponding tip will register on the screen, which I'm sure is helpful for many of the people when trying to calculate a, a 9% tip at Chili's. Right. Does it just like when it gets below 10%, does it just like start flashing cheapskate, cheapskate, a horn goes off it, it, or it, something? It, or, I, I, I or don't think it work? allowed you to go below a certain threshold. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, you know, obviously you don't let your kids play on devices when you're out at a restaurant. I'm sure some people do fine, whatever. But uh, this this sort of forces you. I mean, it's beckoning you throughout your meal to stop talking and play this video game or play this trivia game. And it starts the meal off with your kid being disappointed. Disappointing when they say, can I play this video game? You saying no. And then they start already, like for a young kid, you started on the wrong foot. You're, they're, they're in a pout from the, from the very beginning. And uh, yeah, I, I don't love that. And before the food had arrived, it was flashing advertisements for their chocolate cake dessert right. and her Sunday that our son before that before the chips had arrived was asking you know oh look at that that's what I want that's what I want for dessert when of course we're taking food home because he couldn't eat what uh, what he ordered in the, the first dessert place. did look pretty spectacular it was some kind of uh, molten chocolate cake with ice cream and fudge sauce and everything which of course if we had ordered it it wouldn't have looked like it did on the screen but yeah that's the other thing is you know Showing you that what the dessert will be before the kids have even ordered their mac it's and part cheese. Of, it's part of the endless culture of upselling. And I was on StubHub the other day buying tickets to an event and good tickets and wildly overpriced tickets. And as I was doing that and feeling, feeling sort of uh, contemporaneous buyer's remorse, real buyer's remorse in real time before I'd even made the purchase, I was already feeling buyer's remorse because... Um, because there were there it was it was a lot of money and as i'm doing that a screen pops up or a window pops up on the screen asking wouldn't i like even better tickets <laughs> would i like to see a view from better seats than the ones i was getting for only 150 dollars more per ticket and, and frankly no i wouldn't and it's the same philosophy we talk about this all the time on the podcast with with airlines you know Walk through first class to see what you're missing. Then walk through Comfort Plus to see what you won't be sitting in before you go to the back of the plane, you you cheap, cheap, cheap skate. The, um, th that brings up, I was flying in the last couple of weeks. I was on one of the planes where when you board the plane, instead of the first class, walking through the first class, you took a left to go to first class and you took a right to go right. to coach. And, you know, normally when you land, it's not a big deal. The front of the plane gets off first. But it's a really weird sort of feeling and situation when they stop and don't let any of the coach passengers get off because they have to make sure all of the first class passengers get off the plane first, even if they're not ready, even if they're fumbling with their coats or taking their luggage out of the bin. It's like the, the flight attendant, the woman flight attendant is standing there holding all of the people and coach back. With a stick. Yeah, like like, it, it's, like a, a lion tamer's chair and a whip <laughs> holding you back. It really is an uncomfortable situation, though. Watching this happen, it's just um, you're it, talking about watching it happen when you're in first class. I, I, it's uncomfortable no matter which section you're sitting in. I think if you're sitting in coach, you're annoyed by it. If you're sitting in first class, you're uncomfortable that this you is should, happening. You should, it's it, it's an uncomfortable situation when you're deplaning. And I think somebody last week mentioned. In your mail, we don't decar. Deplaning is the only thing we de. But when you're deplaning from first class, have you ever thought about saying, taking one of those passengers with you and saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach across the the barrier. I want this person to come with me." I wonder what the flight attendant would would, would she be forced to allow you to choose no, somebody? I, to... I don't, I don't. Just like they don't let you, you know, you're not allowed anymore. If you have a first class seat, you couldn't go to coach and switch with somebody. Right. You know, because it's a whole process. You have to give away your first class seat and then the next person in the line in, in terms of frequent flyers gets it. So, no, I don't think they would let you do that. Well, you ought to try it and see what happens. I should. You know, last week I was in Birmingham, Alabama for the SEC Media Day. I love the media days. You get to meet the players and the coaches and it's a, it's a lighthearted, fun time to interact because nobody's played any games yet. They barely started practicing. But anyway, I was I was there and I was in the hotel bathroom and the Kleenex 
was in the shape of like a flower or something. You know how they do that at the hotel? Of course, yeah. The, 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 top, the, top, the top sheet of the Kleenex, top sheet they, of Kleenex. They, they turn into a, and then a floral the, bouquet. And then as soon as you have to blow your nose, the next one is... Then, is right. And then the, but then, then the, the, the start of the toilet paper is also into folded. into ornate origami yes. swan sometimes. So all that does for me is makes me throw away that top piece of Kleenex and throw away the toilet paper because I don't want to use Kleenex. I don't want to put something up to my nose that I know somebody has been you know, doing origami doing, with. Doing origami with. If there's if they have any germs, they've just put all those germs on that Kleenex. So I, I understand they do it because it looks pretty, but I think they should stop. Because even the toilet paper, the part that's been folded under, I'm throwing that away. I don't I don't want somebody else's origami Touching any part did, of my did you, body. Did you, ever, did you think of removing the entire roll of toilet paper and finding the first housekeeper you could and, and throwing no. it at them as a as a gesture of your of your uh, first I, world I problem? Am, I am always very friendly, by the way, to the house the housekeeping staff at any hotel that I stay in, um, and I would never do something like that. However, I'm just the, saying the, the, I think they should. I think it's wasteful because I would imagine most people. You should ask about your brother Tom. He's a bit of a germaphobe. I bet most people throw away that that piece of Kleenex and that piece of toilet paper and and it's just a waste. I never have and and I don't and I usually call down and ask if they will fold each subsequent square of toilet paper <laughs> into a paper crane. And in fact, if my if my hand towels haven't been sculpted into some kind of a swan, I usually ask to switch rooms. You revolt. But you actually use that that Kleenex of the course. one that's been put into a flower? How often do I have to blow my nose in a hotel bathroom? I it may have come up once in my life. But yes, I would not hesitate. What you should do is take that first piece of Kleenex out and use it to remove the first square of toilet paper and then throw them both. Or maybe set it aside. Here's and what you then, do. No, no, no. This is what I do. Here's what I, you do. I set aside that first piece of, of Kleenex. I use whatever I need to. And then before I leave the room, I put that back in as if no one's ever touched That's, that. Or, or you could take the plastic liner out of the ice bucket and use that to remove the Kleenex and use the Kleenex to remove the toilet paper. And then you could fold the bucket, the, the plastic bag over your hand as if, as you do with dog poop and tie that up and throw the whole thing away so you never have to touch anything. Although the plastic bag, of course, has been touched by human hands right. be- before but it's touched yours. Though the thing is, I'm not even a germaphobe. We've talked about this that before on this podcast. I'm not a germaphobe. But, but you are. That, in that situation, I don't, I don't want to use that flowery Kleenex. Well, none of this would be a concern if you win the $1.5 billion Mega Millions lottery that that I believe is still coming up. I've never played the lottery in my life, but it's made the news. And along with that news came news of a survey of 3,000 previous lottery winners. Let's pause and give Denny the chance to insert our awesome news segment music. Good evening. I'm God, and here's the news. Now that we're getting to the news, I had forgotten that we have formally have a news segment now. I feel like I should be doing this in... Uh, Walter Cronkite voice. There was a survey of 3,000 lottery winners, the, the bottom line of which was winning the lottery, winning the $1.5 billion lottery will not make you happier. And in fact, of course, there's a very good chance it will make you considerably unhappier. Less happy or unhappier. <laughs> Be less happy, right? Would it? Yeah. It's not going to make you unhappier. Anyway, no. If you're already unhappy, okay. not saying it's making you less happy suggests that you're you're happy. You'll still be happy. This will just make you less happy. I'm saying if you're if you're unhappy, this will make you even unhappier. Okay. So what was the what was the result of the uh, the thing? The result of the thing I just told you it 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 will likely winning the lottery will likely make you unhappier. It certainly won't make you happier. Well, then this would based on that this would be my question. Do people who purchase lottery tickets do they tend to be unhappy people to begin with, and they and and therefore it makes them unhappier? No. Or are these happy people who purchase lottery tickets and and when they win for whatever reason they become less happy? I think lottery. People, I want to know their state of mind when they started. I, 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 I think people who purchase lottery tickets come from every walk of life, every state of mind, and, and according to surveys I've read, they only have one thing in common, and that is every single one of them is ahead of me in line <laughs> at Sunrise Convenience Store when I'm in a hurry. Did they say, did they go any farther? Did they say why it makes them unhappier? Or, I mean... I didn't, I, I didn't. didn't uh, you didn't actually, you just read the headline? Of course I just only read the headline. But, uh, but it doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot to figure this out. 
think about it. What would you do if you won the if you won one and a half billion dollars? First of all, you'd ha- you'd be faced with lump sum or payout over right. twenty years. I think if you took the lump sum, you'd be down to like seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Which you could do so many which, which fun you would, you would, good things. You would go. With that you would go money, from. You would you? go from elation to already a little bit, a little bit hacked off. Like, wait, I only get half of this. <laughs> I don't it, know. I think the key to all of it is that you want to make sure no one finds out you've won the money. Because as soon as people find out you've won the money, then all everyone does, I would imagine, is ask you for money. But if you if you could win the lottery, that's and, not possible. It, but if you could. And then nobody knew that you had won the lottery. You could do some really cool and amazing things. You know, your your local elementary school needs a new gym. You build them a gym. You think or, you start building things in your town, and people aren't going to figure out that that you're the guy with the one and a half billion dollars. Well, of you course. don't. You do that anonymously. What, what it would become is it would become the the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which has fifty billion dollars and. 1500 employees it would become a full-time huge full-time undertaking that you'd have to delegate to hundreds of other people now you, now you're running a major corporation that you had no interest in running in the first place and even if you and that's even if you tried to this is all in the service of trying to give it all away you I know couldn't, I, you couldn't even give it away easily well I just I think that would be a pretty cool position to be in though like to be Bill and Melinda Gates and just look around the world and and if you see a problem and you want to be able to help you help. And, and even, you know, in whatever way you can. And for them, it's with with tons and tons of money. I just, I don't, I don't think, I wouldn't think that but that would the, make somebody unhappy. Wouldn't that give you a sick, perverse sort of power trip? You know, the, 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 you're taking the vanilla ice approach. If, if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it, right? <laughs> I don't know that vanilla ice song, but. Um, There's only one vanilla ice song. Oh, that's the only from one you Ice Ice Baby? If you got a problem, yo, I'll solve oh, it. Oh, right. Sure, sure. I didn't, I didn't. You, the Check delivery. Check out the, while the DJ revolves it. Right. Okay. No, I, I just think, I think that would be like. It a was really, the delivery. It was the delivery. Okay. I think that would be a really cool place. I'm sure it comes with all kinds of headaches. Um, Wait a minute. Can you pause for a second? I don't know that vanilla ice song. Is that what you said? <laughs> I know all well, the other ones. Yeah, well, okay. my Vanilla Ice uh, library is is pretty large. Anyway, anyway, we will see. I wonder if you know if if one of our listeners has ever uh, won the lottery and wants to let us know if it made them happier or unhappier. I think every one of our uh, let lis- us know that. I think every one of our listeners every Wednesday morning <laughs> wins the lottery. You know, earlier on in the podcast, we were talking about numbers, and uh, our oldest daughter is playing volleyball for the first time she's on the freshman team freshman volleyball team at her high school i have no idea what her volleyball number is um what's i her? do oh you do okay but anyway the, the the bigger thing is volleyball is a sport that i didn't play growing up except in gym and they didn't have a volleyball team at my high school so and and i don't really watch it on television so i don't it's a one of the sports that i feel like i don't know hardly anything about um, I feel like I know enough about football, baseball, soccer, basketball. I can follow games when they're on television. I know enough that you know if something is if if the referee blows the whistle, I know why. And then I was sitting at volleyball matches, and but which I love watching. I find it a fascinating and interesting and entertaining sport, even at the freshman high school level. Especially but, at the, that level, right? Especially at that level. But the rules. Thankfully, on Twitter, some people have been sending me rules. Like I didn't know in volleyball that once you sub in for somebody, that those two people can only sub for each other the rest of the game. Um, That's why when they come in, they 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 have that frozen high five. Where right, they high five each other and they hold it for five seconds. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know that. I didn't know why the one player wore the different color jersey. The, what's the name of that player? Libero. The li- Libero. And the then, Libero, like liberty, free. Yeah, yes, and and then um, somebody said that they can sub in for anybody, and I assume this is true. I think they can't serve or something like that. By the way, or only we, in the back line they can sub in. But I'm learning all these rules, and it's it's interesting at my age to come to a sport that's a re- really popular sport, but not knowing the rules and learning them, and I'm really enjoying that. We should tell listeners that we are now segueing this week and for the rest of the lifetime of this podcast it's going to become a volleyball rules podcast <laughs> primarily are you saying i shouldn't have gone into the no rules no no, that no. i think i think it is interesting and and but uh, how many people i mean there's plenty of adults that probably come to basketball at this age because their kids are playing and they have no idea 
what is going on and, uh, and out on the court or why the referee is blowing the whistles or doing the hand gestures. All things that to me are obvious and second nature are new to some other mom and who's it's funny watching her kid. Because you, you spend most of your time in the hard-bitten, hard-boiled, cynical world of basketball in which didn't one of, one of these uh, veteran college basketball people say to you recently, uh, volleyball, the sport where they clap. <laughs> When the other team scores. Yes. And that is true. They do all get in that huddle and... and, uh, Yes, that basketball veteran was actually UConn associate head coach Chris Daly because I told her, uh, I had texted her and said I was going to bring, I'm bringing our daughter up to watch a UConn volleyball game at some point in the near future. And, um, and, you know, how much our daughter is enjoying volleyball. And yes, her response was, you mean that sport where they all clap and cheer when the other team scores so which is true <laughs> which is true but you know you, you can uh, understand the disdain with which some basketball people may look at volleyball but especially especially if if those basketball people are recruiting very tall high school girls right. of which there is a limited pool of, of right. tall female athletes who are you know six three or six four and ideally you know spiking the ball and I've had this conversation with a few different college coaches and analysts that I know who um, and they said that a lot of that, that basketball, college basketball is losing a ton of tall, athletic women to volleyball. That there are only you know, so many. Obviously. There's only so many. And, you know, the six, three, six, four post player or six, three, six, four woman who used to play post or, or play basketball is now kind of gravitating towards volleyball. And it's it's kind of an interesting situation. Why do you think that is? I don't know why that is. I think part of it from watching is that volleyball requires a lot less sprinting and running. And um, you're not, you don't get quite as tired in volleyball and, and, and as you do in There's less physical basketball. contact with, with yeah. there's no contact with the opponent. Yeah, there's no and, physical contact. There's a ton of floor burn a lot of diving yeah. and, and uh, you know, it's, it's and especially not... like if somebody has a frame like our daughter has, she's um, she's, you know, not particularly strong yet. She's only 13. But yeah, with basketball, she can get beaten up a little bit. But in volleyball, physically, she's not going to get beaten up because there's not that, you know, you're never next to your opponent. But her season ends this week. She has one more volleyball game set match match left. And you and I have talked about this before, but there goes her freshman volleyball season like it's over there's only and three more and and there's one no she has one she has one more she has one more oh, i've been saying there are only three more oh, seasons. three more seasons yeah and like how you have to enjoy every moment of it and you and i have talked about this before on the podcast how you know this isn't the means to the end this is the end you know who knows if if how many more years she'll play and you just have to enjoy every second. Granted, some of it can be frustrating when you're watching your kids compete and, and people are struggling or it's or, you know, they're not performing well or whatever it is. But at the same time, you have to sit back and think, all right, if we're lucky, right, we have three more years of watching her play volleyball. And it's been a joy. And um, to kind of keep reminding ourselves to, as our friend said, enjoy every sandwich. And before we conclude this week's edition of Volleyball and chain. <laughs> I agree with you. It's so fleeting, and you have to uh, embrace those um, fleeting moments of joy that that is life. Last night, driving back from her volleyball game, she was on her phone for the first three minutes until I grabbed it and shoved it into the armrest of the of the car, and she folded her arms and said, "I'm only on my phone because you're not talking to me." And I said, "Well, then let's let's talk." Uh, of course, we had nothing to say to each other, so we, we just drove through the night and on the 70s on 7 on Sirius XM, Gary Wright's Love is Alive came on the radio. And as we're driving through the night, I found just spontaneously that both of us were not only singing the same song from the 1970s, but we were also singing the bass line to the song. So we're driving along through the night going, ba down ba da wa da Donna, my heart is on fire. My soul's like a wheel that's turning. And do I know this song? Like if I heard Gary White, Dreamweaver, the guy who did Dreamweaver. You know what? During during this is how old the song is. During uh, the Red Sox game the other night, it was no, I think it was the Brewers Dodgers. Fox Sports One went to commercial playing that same uh, baseline that I just played for you. The song from the seventies. The average age of the of the uh, Major League Baseball television viewer is dead 
And, uh, you know, the games were on so late at night that a lot of those games ended after 1 a.m. Eastern time, which is fine because most of their viewers are already up to pee. So, uh, you know, the commercials during the games were all for ED medication and uh, uh, CPAP cleaners and medical class action lawsuits. I mean, it's, it really is unbelievable. But but the sweet spot of that was playing the the uh, Gary Wright's Love is Alive as the outro music going to all those commercials. But I, I love that our 13-year-old can sing along to a song that predates her existence by 30 years. I, I did not watch more than a couple minutes of either the NLCS or the ALCS, but the couple minutes I watched was, and I had no context for anything. I don't know who most of the most of these players are. I, I like baseball. I just don't pay attention to it very closely, was when Manny Machado bunted and ran and got on first base, looked at the crowd and like grabbed himself. And he wasn't adjusting his cup. He was clear that the crowd had been booing him. For well, that, that may have been a residual effect of, of his gesture, but well, when he, that wasn't the primary right. motive. And he, when he got up to bat, the crowd, the entire crowd was booing him in Milwaukee. I had to ask you why. Again, I don't know anything about this guy. And so all I saw was, you know, him run across first base and like look at the crowd and grab himself like to me in an angry way. In the previous game, he had gratuitously clipped the, the first baseman running the first base with, uh, you know, kind of like kicking out at him at his, at his leg. And he's known for doing that kind of thing. He got into it with uh, he, he'll get into it with the Red Sox during this World Series because, the, you know, he had an incident. He took out Dustin Pedroia way past second base last year. Uh, Pedroia has never been the same. Pedroia played one game this year. You know, it, it, it set off beanball wars between the Red Sox and the Orioles, whom Machado played for. So anyway, so that's the backstory. I, I didn't know any of this until you told that to me. What struck me was that after this happened, neither of the announcers mentioned it, and that even though they replayed the bunt four or five times, they always cut it off before his... To me, a lewd gesture towards the right. crowd. And on MLB Network, the next day, I was showing our son the highlights because, of course, he can't stay up to watch the end of these things. And they also artfully trimmed that every time they show the replay. And then Yasiel Puig hit a three-run home run. That was really the the game winner for the Dodgers. And he was ma- he was he was uh, calling attention to his his groinal region while he ran the bases and and they sort of uh, laughed that off while interviewing him post game as you know being really uh, ebullient effusive uh, uh, act of joy and I, you know I don't again I don't know any of the backstories for these players I was looking at it as somebody who works in television and 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 to me if something happened in a game I was covering you kind of have to when it's that obvious I was surprised that the announcers did not bring it up and I was surprised that in all of those replays, it wasn't re- it wasn't shown again, forcing the announcers to bring it up. So I I posted that on Twitter. Just you know, is this how t- baseball is typically covered? I, I didn't really talk about the act itself, but just the coverage of the act. And I cannot believe the amount of vile, racist, horrible things. Was some that of it misogynist? Do you think? Is, a, this doesn't sound like the Twitter I know. But like, but maybe because I'm not usually in the crosshairs of it, and it, I wasn't necessarily in the crosshairs of it either. It was somebody else retweeted it, and so when when somebody would reply, they'd reply to the person, the person that they follow that retweets it. And but I would also be on it, and it was just it was unbelievable. I had no intention of getting into this war between Brewers and Dodgers fans. I certainly usually, had no intention of, you... of feeling the ire of. What some of the, but I mean, usually th- at 10 was, p.m. when you're sitting at home and the kids have gone down and you're sitting at, on your couch in Connecticut, the, the first thing you want to do is get into some kind of right. uh, uh, obscenity laced war between right. Milwaukee Brewer and Los Angeles Dodgers fans, <laughs> of which you have nothing to do with either. And of, them. of course, I didn't respond to anybody. And uh, at some point, I just decided I can't, I can't look at my at replies for another day until I've tweeted something else that might get something encouraging. A but, palate cleanser. But this this gets me back to this. I suppose it's a good sign for baseball because all of these um, angry, vile racists, I don't think any of them were the 70 or 80 year old fan that you're talking about. I think it was a younger viewer. So at least... A hopeful sign for baseball. It's a hopeful sign for baseball. Yes, exactly. Oh. That's where I'm going with this. What a, what a sweet story. <laughs> I mentioned that last week I was in Birmingham, Alabama for SEC Media Day. And because I was traveling, I had an opportunity to uh, to be in an Uber. And so this is this week's Uber driver confession. 
drives part-time, it's not his chosen profession, but it gives him a chance to share his life's lessons. It's time for the segment we call Uber Confessions. And I don't even know if this counts as a confession, but I need to, before I travel somewhere, I need to look up the rules for cell phone use by drivers because the car I was in, the Uber I was in in Birmingham, the guy was talking on the phone. And then while he was driving me, he wasn't hands-free. He didn't have an earpiece in. He was actually talking on the phone. It, w- it was really quick because if it if it talked longer, I would have said something to him because my concern is my safety when I'm in an Uber. But, um, but I, 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 I would just assume that all 50 states have the same law now that you have to be hands-free but no but um surely not i mean they all have different motorcycle helmet laws yeah so i i think before i get into an uber before i travel somewhere i should look up their laws and then you know then i can know i'll know whether or not when i get in the car say i know it's legal here but when you're driving me please stay off your phone how do you think that would go over yeah first of all the the notion that you're going to be googling Uh, uh, livery <laughs> laws in, in various states that you travel to is absurd. Uh, well, I'll just ask you to Google it for me. Well, speaking of various uh, states uh, and various laws, this doesn't pertain to laws at all, but a few weeks ago, sometime on the podcast, we talked about your love of spandex. I don't remember the context no, of No, it was how women, discussion. how you see people wearing spandex. It started with our daughter's volleyball team, right. but how you see women wearing spandex all over the place now and that a game will be over. I will no longer leave the house when men start wearing spandex with nothing over them as their everyday going out pant. Well, this inspired Josh in Wyoming to uh, tell us a story about the time, his own love of, of male spandex and uh, and something that happened to him while, while wearing spandex in Montana, of all places. And this is, a, I think, a new medium on Ball and Chain, and that is Josh sent us this not as a viewer mail, which we'll get to soon, but as a as a voice memo. Let's listen to Josh's story about men in spandex. So back in 2005, I was road biking a lot. I was training for a triathlon, and just after spending a bunch of time on the bike seat, it became evident that I really needed to probably have spandex bike shorts with the pad in it. And so I wore spandex bike shorts with the pad in it, but wore them underneath basketball shorts. But as I would go on my long 25, 50, 75 mile rides, basketball shorts are just not good to be on a, on a bike for that long. So I started wearing just spandex. And that evolved into, you know, full leg spandex as the weather started to change. And I went on a hundred mile ride one day. I left Billings, Montana, and I was on my way back to Billings and I got a flat tire. And so I'm on the side of the road and it's starting to rain and it's a cold fall day and and I'm trying to fix this tire and a rancher pulls up in his truck, a flatbed truck, it's got a hay bale on the back of it, classic Montana vehicle. The rancher with his big mustache leans over and he rolls the window down and he says, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm I'm going to Billings. And he pauses for a second with his toothpick in his mouth and he kind of looks around and he goes, I think the weather's going to get pretty bad. Do you want to ride to town? That's where I'm going. I said, yeah, I'd love a ride to town. So I picked up my bike and my flat tire and my changing kit, threw it in the back of his truck, and I jumped in the front seat. And he looked me up and down, and that was the first moment that I realized that I was a 6'2", 210-pound man in the middle of Montana, and I was spandex from my ankle bone to my earlobe. And this old rancher goes, don't take this the wrong way, Tinkerbell. But if we see anybody I know, you're going to need to duck. So the truck driver wants him to hide if he sees anyone he knows, anyone he knows, because he might be embarrassed. And this makes me think I was recording a podcast as a guest for Sarah Spain yesterday from ESPN. And at the end, she asks a variety of questions. And one of them was, what's your most embarrassing moment? And... I was thinking like, it's been years since I've been truly embarrassed about something. And I think that's the beauty of when you get to your mid to late thirties and into your forties is that, you know, things aren't as embarrassing as they used to be. Like, can you count something as an embarrassing moment if you're not embarrassed? Like is the definition of something being embarrassing that the person is embarrassed by it? Because plenty of things happen that, you know, our 13 year old would be embarrassed by, but that you and I aren't. So 
How, how do we define an embarrassing moment? Well, for me, I mean, the older I get, and I, like you, I have been, I haven't been embarrassed in in ages. I can't remember the last time I laughed, cried, or experienced embarrassment. But but there, you are you are living the anti Jimmy V life. You don't laugh every day. You don't cry. You don't laugh any day. You don't cry any day. And what was it? And you don't love yes, any day. Yes, so that's, there that's you right. go. That's right. The anti Jimmy V. That's that's good. Um, no, I, I think there's a there's a, always a um, the same amount of embarrassment in the world. And but as you're younger, you are that you're filled up with embarrassment frequently, as our teenager is, for instance. And as you get older, that that same pool of embarrassment remains what it is. But you are now a vessel for creating embarrassment rather than receiving it. So I think the older I've gotten the more I'm embarrassing others while not experiencing embarrassment myself. And that's a kind of balance that, that remains and, and as you get older, you learn to own it, that if you own it and diffuse it, it's like it has no power over you. It can't embarrass you. And it makes me think of early on when I was coaching boys for the first time, boys basketball. I'd coached girls basketball for years, and I'm coaching the boys basketball team. as our first practice. These boys are in second grade, um, and so they're seven and eight years old. And before we started, the, the boys were sitting in the center circle, and one of them just had really loud gas. And he was so proud of it and started laughing, and so did all the other boys. And I just thought, this already is so different from coaching girls, because if that same thing had happened with the girls sitting, they all would have been read and embarrassed and horrified. And so same act, one group would have been embarrassed by it, the other not at all. So I guess embarrassment completely is how you internalize whether or not you allow something to embarrass you. It's not the same as shamelessness, being beyond embarrassment, you know. I mean, you should experience shame when you've done something oh, shameful. Sure. But, but uh, just, to be, you know, just to be embarrassed uh, is usually... You know, if you slip and fall, like when you're a kid, that's embarrassing. When you're an adult, as long as you're sober, <laughs> it's probably not. You're like, oh, I slipped and fell. Don't I'm be the fine. guy who who stumbles on the street and then looks back down at the sidewalk and or, you're that or, guy or or, or strides you, you and takes you... about five more strides and uh, as if you re- you meant to do that. Oh, I know I'm that guy. That's why I'm saying like don't be that guy. Everyone does that. I don't. That's know, what, I don't that, know. I don't know. That's if why. It's... I'm, that's why I'm saying don't be that guy. Don't be me. I don't know if anyone's the anti, physically the anti Jimmy V. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's physically capable of tripping while walking down the sidewalk and not looking. As if they're ever going to, if they actually think they're going to look and see that there, yes, indeed was a hand that came up out of the sidewalk to grab your foot. But I, I don't know that I've ever seen someone trip and not look. Well, we just have an unbelievable viewer mail here. Maybe the best ever. Kids, it's time to answer our voluminous viewer mail, which has uh, been piling up over the last five or six days. We, we mentioned, I guess, on the anniversary show. Yeah. It, it was the, the one year anniversary show. of the show yeah. last week. And you said the perfect the, the one year anniversary is paper, so the perfect gift would be. So the perfect gift would be a crossword, where all of the clues would involve things that we've talked about on the podcast, and um, and I just thought that would be an ideal gift. Well, Rachel from Idaho, formerly Rachel from Utah, now apparently now under new management. Right. Rachel from Idaho, <laughs> formerly Rachel from Utah says that she was sitting on the couch listening to this week's episode she made the attached ball and chain podcast crossword incredible it's amazing it really is she also asked question did denny mean to spell support squirrels as as support squirrels s-q-u-i-r-r-l-e-s or had he had a few margaritas from the triple barrel margarita machine uh, I didn't realize Denny, again, has a typo in, in a title, apparently. So. Well, I hope it stays there. But this, this crossword is absolutely amazing. You and I have to figure out how we can get it all on one page so that we can post it on our Instagram, which just, is, can I just say, Instagram is at Ball and Chain Podcast. But as soon as we figure out, this this crossword puzzle is amazing, and we will post it there. Can I just read a few of the clues just yes, to give you a preview? Please do. Uh, every one of them is tied into the previous year of podcasts. Um Leader, leader of dance parties with the Russian kids in the basement, or in basement, I should say. Well, let's not give the answers because there's the answer going to be some people who actually want to do this. Steve's crossword. favorite restaurant, brand of pro back shaver, uh, resident OBGYN. Well, of course. And uh, Steve's ridiculous affectation. Oh, resident air filter replacement engineer at the Russian home. I mean, I mean, it, and not only this, this, this. She, the wording of the clues is phenomenal. What was that one for their air replacement? The that resident. One is, uh, uh, 
resident air filter replacement engineer at the Russian home. Air filter replacement engineer. I think he would be thrilled to, to know that that is his title when it comes to, to our crossword. So, And I had said when we were talking about paper anniversary that that would be a great gift. I said, you know, I bet there's some women out there who will know what I'm talking about and none of the men will. Well, Rachel, a woman, is the one who came up with this uh, with this crossword. Now, let me read a viewer mail that we got on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at Ball and Chain Pod. And this is from our friend Michael Atchison. He said, I had no idea what gift Rebecca was thinking of for the pod's paper anniversary, which makes me hashtag Team Steve. I suspect that most men would think of it as a task and not a gift. And you know what? This is fundamentally where men and women are different when it comes to giving gifts. Women think of things, whether it's this crossword puzzle or whatever, they, they, they think of things that might take effort, but there's thought behind it, and that's what makes a good gift. For a guy, no, that's a task. A gift is just being able to go spend money and purchase something. So I think Michael and Rachel have kind of made it clearer to me what fundamentally is different about men and women when it's time to give gifts, and that's women think thoughtful things are, you know, add, that adds more value where men see it as a task. You you like to put me to the task and say, I don't, there's nothing that I want. There's nothing that I even want you to guess that I want, but I want you to go physically far away from home and, and buy something and bring it back to me. Whether I like it or not, whether I open it, you set the task. So. Well, ultimately, that's because a gift <clears throat> a gift for me is just sending you somewhere right. far well, away from that home. That is the gift. <laughs> that right. is I, the gift. I, I, I see now. <laughs> Chelsea writes to, to ballandchainpod at gmail.com. Chelsea writes, um, she enjoyed the conversation with Denny about music. My first CD, she writes, was Ace of Bass, and I also had a Spice Girls CD early on. Now, either, either Chelsea... Uh, didn't buy any music for the first 50 years of her life before she got Ace of Bass and Spice Girls, or she is a young-ish podcast listener. We, and we, so unlike the Major League Baseball demographic, we, we do have some younger listeners. We need to come up with a name for them, like the Millennium Chains or the Millennial Chains. we got to think of some name for our, for well, our younger. Actually, let, let's throw that out there to our listeners. If you can think of a, a name that we can give to our young listeners... Um, send it to us at Ball and Chain Pod at Twitter. Well, funny you mention that. Brett writes, Hi, Steve and Rebecca. Denny alluded up to you guys looking for a nickname for fans of the show. If so, I nominate BACers, pronounced backers as a short form for Ball and Chainers. It dovetails nicely with the theme song line about having each other's backs. Oh, and it goes to the crossword clue of back shavers well, i think i think he's saying backer thing. is not back i know i know, I know but uh, but we can t tie it all I in mean, nicely they're, they're welcome to do that if they like but uh we were talking during the WNBA finals um that you know i was using the phrase i don't remember which phrase i was using that our daughter said no one says anymore and this made me feel better john quill jones who's a very very good player for the connecticut sun she tweeted this tweet. It was not tweeted at us. It had nothing to do with Ball and Chain podcast, but this was John Quill Jones' tweet. She said, so I was talking to my niece, and she said something that was cool, and I said, quote, that dope. She replied, people don't say that anymore. We say, that's lit. And John Quill, who I think is like 24, said, I'm officially the old head, y'all. So uh, even John Quill is getting... So it's getting corrected. By so 24, you me. have no idea what the correct term is. Yeah, I think by the time you are no longer uh, in high school, apparently you are you are saying the wrong the wrong phrase. Uh, Liz in Farmington uh, works at the reference desk at the Lucy Robbins Wells Library in Newington. I've spoken there, a great library. Although I'm not technically a librarian because I don't have masters in library science, could I be the resident reference librarian for the podcast until someone more qualified comes along? I thought we had a resident librarian. We have, we have resident librarians. We don't, but but she's what she's saying is she's not qualified as a librarian. So so she wants to be the resident unqualified, unqualified librarian. librarian the UL reference librarian, and that's what that's what she is. She's I, got the job. I think every one of our um, residents, for the most part, is unqualified. So absolutely, she can be the resident unqualified librarian. Well, I certainly hope this guy's qualified. Our resident OBG, I what. OBGYN, Dr. Gary Siegel. Uh, Dr. Gary Siegel this week writes that um, we were talking 
last week, I think it was, Denny had slept in his car on the way home from one of his Yeah, I said I, I had I drew, drew the line that I would not be the person sleeping in a car in a parking lot. Denny, however, proudly slept in a car in a parking lot. Well, Rebecca, Dr. Gary Siegel writes, I've reclined my car seat many times and taken naps in various places. Sometimes I'll go to the gym early, 5.30 or 6, and just be tired and sleep for 30 minutes. He doesn't say whether he's doing this before or after right. his workout. Or instead of. Yeah, I've done it when I get tired during a long several hours drive, and my wife has admonished me to tell her where I am in case someone decides to, in her words, steal me while he's sleeping, presumably. <laughs> you know, this reminds me, I... I I wrote a book 20 years ago called Road Swing, and I was drove around the United States 25,000 miles. And I remember being tired at the end of many of these days of driving. Um, but in particular, I remember being between Lexington and Louisville, Kentucky, at a rest stop, and I pulled over to take a nap. But my car was angled back towards the interstate for some reason in the parking spot, in the, in the spot I parked in, so that I reclined my driver's seat in every seven or eight minutes I would wake up sitting at the wheel of my car thinking I had fallen asleep while driving and I would see traffic coming at me and I'd grab the wheel on a death grip and my heart would hammer out the drum solo of wipeout until I realized that I was parked in the parking lot of a rest stop. I would fall back asleep and every seven or eight minutes this experience would repeat itself. And at no point did you think of maybe repositioning the car facing the other direction so that you could have a little more relaxed sleep? Would have been a good thing to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Scott writes that uh, we also mentioned, I think, on a recent podcast about you asked me to look something up for you. You asked me a simple question that you could have Googled yourself. Does this ring a bell? Well, I often say, you know, if we have any listeners who can enlighten us on something and you always correct me and say, or you could Google it. Well, you know, he's referring specifically to a lady when I was at getting my license renewed at AAA. A lady came in asking for driving directions to Florida from Connecticut. And the lady at AAA very kindly said, give her a second, and she would get those directions for her. Of course, all she was doing was, was Googling them for her. I thought Steve would like the, the mildly snarky site, lmgtfy.com. Let me Google that for you.com. And uh, you type in a search term, then click the link and send the link to the person asking you the question. When they open the link, they see a video of the search with the steps one. Visit google.com. Two, type in your question. Three, click the button. So is that what you're going to send to me? You're gonna, Next time I ask something, I'll, I'll get that snarky little response. Well, So I'll thank you in advance for that. Scott, which brings me to my next point, Scott writes, you probably need a resident technology integration specialist. Oh, I'd love to fill that question. role. Oh, without question. We need technology help here, yes. He'll be the guy who Googles stuff for us. All right, I like it. Well, that was the other day when you have we brought brought this up. You finally got a new computer after years and years, and you were, it won't print, it won't print. And you do sometimes treat me as your administrative assistant or your tech person. And so if I hear you, you know, complaining, I usually wait a little while to see if you'll stop or if you'll figure it out. But then inevitably I go to your office, which is, you know, it's not like I'm driving somewhere. Your office is on the other side of the house, and I fix your problem. <laughs> so we could use a resident technology person. Now, I'm going to do, uh, and those are all ballandchainpod at gmail.com. I'm going to do one more tweet that comes to at ballandchainpod at Twitter. And this is from Abby Gordon. Abby has, has become a faithful listener. She's out in the Seattle area, works with the Seattle Storm. She said, I'm wondering, she's, she's wondering if you and I, Steve, have ever been on an airplane that was diverted for anything better than weather issues. She was writing this while she was sitting on a tarmac in Spokane because it was too foggy to land in Seattle. So actually, both of us have had some interesting flight experiences, starting with one time when we were flying together. We were supposed to be going to Chicago and ended up instead in Vermont. Would you like to tell that did story? Did we never tell the story on, on the I podcast before? We, we were flying from, uh, from Hartford to Chicago. We were the last plane to take off before, um, while, while it was snowing, and it started snowing very heavily while we were on the runway. We were the last plane allowed to take off before they shut down Bradley. And about an hour into the flight to Chicago, there was some smell that wasn't, I mean, it was a different unpleasant smell in the cabin than you usually get. And stuff, I think, was coming out of the uh, AC system, it looked like. But uh, they announced that we were turning around, and a guy who was listening in on the cockpit uh, communications thing through his little earphones said that uh, the pilot had said that there's smoke in the cabin, in the cockpit. 
So that wasn't very pleasant. So we were turning around and we, we can't land at Bradley, it's closed. We're landing at Burlington, Vermont. And as we're approaching the airport in Burlington, Vermont, we circle Lake Champlain a few times. And I said to you, You said we're dumping fuel because, you know, your job was to make me feel more calm. Well, I mean, so, so we, we start landing. And as we're approaching the runway, there are fire trucks with their lights on lining the runway, which wasn't a very reassuring to me anyway. And we land without incident totally normal. We get off the plane, and as we get off the plane, as we deplane, there are all of the local news crews in Vermont are waiting there with looks of grave disappointment. They had been obviously uh, videotaping our landing, and it was routine. There was no fireball or anything, and, and so they glumly went through the motions of interviewing us when we got off the plane. Some people were asleep for the entire thing. But uh, the airline put us up in a local hotel, and we went to the hotel, and the first thing we did after dropping our bags was go down to the hotel bar where we watched the start of the 6 o'clock news, and the lead was video of our plane landing at the airport. And landing safely. And I think I've told the story about the time where I took off from Atlanta, was going to L.A., and one of the engines was on fire, um, a fireball. And so we came back, landed in Atlanta, we actually went down the inflatable chutes and, and flew off. Um, and anyway, that was, and then, you know, two hours later, after we watched the whole side of the plane go up in flames, after the, all the passengers had been uh, removed from the plane, two hours later, they, okay, now it's time to board your next flight to L.A. You know, that short little flight from Atlanta to L.A. But anyway, and so I, yes, Abby, we have had reasons uh, for our flights to be diverted other than just weather. And I was flying to Frankfurt, Germany once from JFK and halfway across the Atlantic in the middle of the night, there was an old guy in the plane with huge hands and he had been a boxing trainer, we learned later. And he got up and I was in the seat that had the bulkhead with no seats in front of me. So there was just the, the door, the entrance to the plane was to the left of me. And so people would congregate there. And this guy came to that area and he started shadow boxing. How old was he? He was like 75, but he was fit and he had, and at some point, he freaked out that he was looking out the window in the night over the Atlantic, and there was no sensation of movement. So he started yelling, "We stopped! Why have we stopped? Why did we stop?" <laughs> and he started, and it was it was getting people uncomfortable. At one point, he went into the bathroom, and several people seated near me and around me said, "Let's get the drink cart and barricade him in." Almost kind of half as a joke, you know. Right. And people kept coming back and trying to, then they, 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 you know, do we ply him with drinks and try to sedate him or do we not ply him with drinks? I mean, it was, it was, it was very uncomfortable uh, crossing the Atlantic and um, it got weird, especially when he, he wanted to get off the plane and the door was right there and the door was in front of me and I'm thinking, you can't let this guy near the door. He thinks the plane has stopped. Right. He's and, shadow boxing, first of all. He thinks right. the plane has stopped. I mean, we found I've out, never we heard found this out, story before. That would freak me out. We found out that he was terrified of flying. I think he'd had a few pops, and uh, and he was just super agitated. And rather than being arrested by air marshals when we landed in Germany, he was met by family members, and he was just, you know, it's calm now. You're terrified of flying, and you have to fly across the ocean. Was he an American night. or a German? He was. Like he was he American, was American. Yeah. And speaking of travel, I, dr I was lucky to... Uh, travel by car this week to New York. I had to be in New York for a Marquette alumni event, and I had an hour to spare, and I walked around to several of our old haunts, including where we met the Dublin House on 79th Street. I walked into Central Park, past the backside of Tavern on the Green, where you refused to dance with me when I asked you the first time, and I've never asked since. They were setting up the scaffolding for the New York Marathon, which I ran one year, so it was like a magical mystery tour. of. I, I walked past um, the building that we lived in uh, the first year that we were married and it was the same doorman looking exactly as glum as he looked 15 years ago but uh it was a magical mystery tour of sorts and i was my only disappointment was there was no brass plaque outside the dublin house marking the spot where we met but there was a vinyl banner at, off, uh, advertising two for one beer specials during monday night football so that was nice no that that sounds perfect and uh and we've told this story before, you know, when we met and, and I called you on the fact that you had made fun of the WNBA at some point. But what I had forgotten, the part of the story I had forgotten until our good friend Mark Beach brought it up as a comment in an Instagram post was the fact that you had fan mail in your pocket. I can't believe I've or, or was omitted I just, or was this I just memory. happy to see you? Yeah. <laughs> I, that's right. You that night. 
you had a letter in your pocket uh, from from somebody who had written to you, a fan of Sports Illustrated, I, I and a just, fan of I your had column, just, I just Air come from, from the P.O. box or something. That's, but that's, still, that's why. I believe that night, not only did I call you on, aren't you the guy who made fun of, fun of the WNBA in a recent column, but I think after you, for some reason, you know, showed the letter, brought the letter, I think you, I said to you, do you always walk around with fan mail in your pocket? <laughs> And yet, and yet, and yet, here and yet, we are. And yet, the joke is on you because you married me. And yet, here, here, here we are, me and the anti-Jimmy V. Yes, remember, if I can just leave you with one thing: <laughs> don't laugh every day, don't cry every day, and don't love. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Dick, and Harry. <laughs> on that note, play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts your sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, well, we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.